HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. I love the way Dave like really blasts that last little chord out before I start talking. It just makes me feel so happy. It always makes me smile when it happens. It's funny. And that's a great way to start your program is with a big smile. Right, Dave? Anyway, we have a great show for you today. This is um, episode number six in my series on the dairy industry in the United States. And it is my very, very great pleasure to bring uh, Gary Hirschberg uh, onto the air to talk about the organic uh, dairy industry. Gary, in case you are unfamiliar with him, which seems almost impossible, but I suppose it might be, is the chairman and co-founder of Stonyfield Farm, the world's leading organic yogurt producer. And he is also the author of Stirring It Up, How to Make Money and Save the World, which was published in 2008 by Hyperion. Gary frequently speaks on topics including sustainability, organic agriculture, and the profitability of green businesses. And his non-corporate life includes being chairman and a founding partner of Just label it, we have the right to know, the national campaign to label genetically engineered foods. And he is the co-author of Label It Now, What You Need to Know About Genetically Engineered Foods, which was published in 2012. He's also the chairman of Organic Voices, a consortium that seeks to eliminate consumer confusion about the benefits of organic. And in 2011, President Obama appointed him to serve on the advisory committee for trade policy and negotiations, where he served until February 2017. Um, and then also, I, I, it wasn't in your, um, in your bio, uh, Gary, but Weren't you a founding member of Agri, capital A-G, uh, lowercase R-E-E? Because I interviewed you about that when it first started, like literally Indeed. 10 years ago. Indeed, you have a good memory. That was 10 years ago. That was like the very <laughs> beginning of my career at Heritage Radio Network. And now, 10 years later, here we are chatting again. I like that sim- symmetry, don't you? <laughs> um, it's nice to be back with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's it's a great pleasure. It really is an honor to have you on because you were such a pioneer. So I, I want you to give people... if. His, for some reason, they've been living under a rock for the 
last 30 years. <laughs> Just give them a little bit of an idea of what Stonyfield is all about, sort of how you got started and stuff. Yeah, well, they, they would be forgiven. It was a long time ago. Uh, you know, in the early days of Stonyfield, of course, very few Americans were even eating yogurt. This is 1983, right. uh, and nobody knew what organic meant. So we often say that we had a wonderful company, just no supply and no demand. <laughs> it was a real uphill battle in the early 80s, like a lot of wonderful brands. Whole Foods, of course, got their start then, as, de- as did many others, uh, Organic Valley down the road from you and right. others. But, but uh, you know, I think in the early going, to be fair and honest, I don't think many of us organic advocates were as focused on the quality of the food, uh, that is the taste, as we were on the benefits, uh, you know, the absence of pesticides and hormones and antibiotics and the benefits right. to farmers. But over, over that first decade, um, we really kind of got our act together. And I, I think people started to, consumers started to realize organic actually tastes better. And at the end of the day with food, uh, you can have all the features and benefits you want, but taste really rules. So yeah. that's really where we took off. So from from '83 when we started with seven cows to till uh, obviously the present, where we're up now to supporting uh, almost 1,500 family farms. It's wow. been uh, been quite a ride. Oh, that's fantastic. I love hearing that. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a couple of minutes. But just compared to, um, <clears throat> well, first of all, how did you guys? Get started. You were, you started with seven cows, but you were able to buy enough land to support seven cows at that time. And and then I wanted you to sort of compare what it was like to try to acquire farmland in the eighties when you started. Um, you know, and sort of the obvious challenges that exist today. What you know, what was the climate yeah. like then? In terms well, the, of I think the big so so just a quick background uh, back then, and then I'll get to the present, which sure. I think is uh, you're right. It's really an interesting and challenging time. Um, you know, we were actually an organic farming school, and we were, in fact, mm. renting the original farm. It was 140 acres. The reason it's called Stonyfield is that here in New England, that, that was really probably our best crop. You know, every year <laughs> the, the, the stones would come up after each winter. And yeah. and we would, in fact, with our interns, and we, we would be out there, you know, hucking rocks into the rock piles for, uh, you know, a couple uh, days, uh, weeks, really, when the season got started. So mm-hmm. we... We grew our herd up to about 19 cows, but the truth was we um, we were running a farm school. We were uh, making yogurt. We were milking. It was just too much. So we started to look to other farmers as we as our demand kind of skyrocketed past our own capacity. Mm-hmm. And frankly, uh, again in the early 80s, there were very few farmers willing to take on the kind of practices that were engaged, access to pasture and um, not using antibiotics, for example. Right. Of course, synthetic growth hormone was coming on. We needed them to avoid that. So it was a slog. It wasn't so much a challenge for us of getting land uh, as it was finding farmers who were willing to um, to make that uh, the, 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 those changes and sacrifices since, of course, the market itself was unknown to them. Um, sure. Fast forward to today, uh, I think, uh, you know, your listeners certainly are well aware that uh, it's very, very tough time for conventional dairy farming. Um, conventional farmers uh, have higher feed prices and lower farm gate milk price than ever before. And so actually, um, we have a much easier time now accessing um, getting farmers who are willing to uh, uh, switch over, convert, as you know, it takes three years, yeah. over to certified organic. Uh, in fact, um, the problem at this very moment is we a- we actually have a surplus, not so much of milk in total, but of skim milk in particular, because mm-hmm. so many farmers have 
uh, realize that organic is the solution to the roller coaster ride with uh, that they've been on with 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 federal control of milk prices and mm-hmm. again with 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 skyrocketing feed prices and conventional but but the net is that, is that now supply um, is a little bit farther ahead than demand ma- mainly because uh while cheese and whole milk products uh are up uh skim milk is actually down so uh so it's a, it's a it's a tricky time but certainly uh Nowadays, we do not have the problem uh, attracting farmers that we did in the early going. Well, um, that's good to hear. But I, I wanted to ask you, like, does it cost more to produce? I mean, you sort of answered that question already because you said feed prices for commodity uh, producers are higher than organic producers. So can you give uh, us sort of an no, idea of the no, equation? Sorry, I, I misspoke. If I, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, let sorry, me maybe I misunderstood. We, yeah, I mean, orga- what I'm saying is, on the conventional side, feed prices are higher than they've ever been, uh. and 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 conventional milk price is very very low. Right, on the organic right. side, actually, organic feed is often and right now, in fact, so somewhere between 300 and 400 percent, three to four times more expensive than conventional. So that that is the big challenge for our mm. organic growers. And that's why we work really closely with farms who supply our milk to help them improve the quality of their pasture and their hay so they can rely more on, on nutrients grown on the farm and less on purchased feed. Right. Um, but the organic price for milk is also much better at covering those costs and much less volatile. It's, it's very steady. We're not um, we are under contract through our cooperative, which is Organic Valley or the Crop Cooperative, for about 90% of our milk. And then we have another 40 or so farms that pr- we have a direct relationship. Um, and those farmers uh, can rely from year to year, let alone uh, period to period, on a, on a very steady price that's evolved at uh, more on a, on a supply and demand equation than on a um, you know, the, the, than on the federal milk order, which is not always tied to market, right. as we know. So, you know, the price for conventional milk is often well below these days what it, it costs farmers to produce it, which is why we've seen, you know, the decline in the number of small conventional dairy farms over the last decade, but also the, why we've seen the increase of farmers willing to come over to organic. So, mm-hmm. you know, part of what you get, just to cut to it, when you buy organic is that you can feel much more confident that the farmer is being paid a fair price, even with the higher feed costs. And it does mean organic milk costs more, but it's also one of the many reasons we think it's worth it. In the end, this is why we started this company in the first place, was to give farmers a fair shake and make sure that they were, you know, that family farmers are, 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 are being adequately supported to, uh, to stay on, on their land. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it reminds me, I mean, I, I was going to ask you about this later in the show, but but it's it's what you're doing seems to be very similar to the Nyman Ranch model, where they basically guarantee a base price for pork, and they never pay below that. And it sounds like you are able to do that with organic milk um, through your co-op. Definitely, um, yeah. And, 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 I mean, again, to be clear, the Crop Cooperative is a farmer-owned cooperative. So they're, they, while they have a brand, Organic Valley, they, they are in business first and foremost to do exactly what I told you Stonyfield's right. founding mission was and still is, which is to ensure that farmers are adequately supported to do the heroic work they do every day. Right. Um, so, so, yes, most of our 
uh, milk. Ninety percent comes from a co-op that is absolutely there, not not just to uh, provide an adequate price, but to provide technical services, help farmers be more efficient on the cost side and on purchasing and so forth. And you know, with our direct farms, we we what we we developed a a, a direct supply mainly in the uh, Northeast, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, New York. Um, uh, and 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 here we're experimenting even further. For example, we every farm in our direct supply has has access to about five thousand dollars worth of technical assistance per farm per year, so they mm-hmm. can decide what they want to focus the support on. You know, pasture improvement or milk quality, or or or, or even sometimes bringing a lawyer on, or or, or reducing their insurance costs. Or, mm-hmm. but but the point is, we're we're always. I mean, th- I don't think the co-op nor we have. Ever are ever done trying to improve the model, which is to to find ways that to help farmers uh, be more in control of their economic destiny. Organic goes a long, long way towards that. The pricing has been very, very stable. If I showed you two charts next to each other, if you saw the conventional milk price, mm-hmm. it looks like a literally up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah. Uh, whereas, whereas organic pay price to farmers now for some time has been quite a steady curve with no no volatility. So how do you do that, Gary? I mean, like, because you're not well, part of the, the federal <laughs> price support or the federal price yeah, yeah, setting? No, that's the art. I mean, the, the <laughs> challenge, of course, is first of all, um, you know, most consumers aren't aware of of this at all. So, right. so frankly, uh, we really appreciate you're giving us an opportunity to talk today because I think a, a lot of this is just helping consumers know that when they're buying organic, they're really supporting something more than just reducing pesticides or hormones or antibiotics to their families. That, right. of course, is a big part of the benefit to them. But they're they're really supporting a, a different kind of system. Uh, but what we have to do here, frankly, is um, you know balancing supply and demand is the hardest thing in mm. most commodities, but milk in particular. And so we, as the kind of the bridge between the consumer and the farmer, have to uh, ensure that we're keeping our costs absolutely under control to always favor the farmer, uh, the pay price to the farmer. So what it means very bluntly is we can't, for example, do very much in the way of advertising. You know, we're up against uh, uh, General Mills or Denon or some of the the, the, the Chobani companies that don't have a very, don't don't have an organic portfolio, or in Denon's case, it's a tiny fraction. And so they, they have much cheaper milk, and therefore they can make more profit, more gross margin on their products, and then use it to buy advertising. We, we typically have never, I mean, periodically we'll do print ads or social media has been a lot less expensive, but this is a big, big gap. My, for the, for the business savvy listeners out there, my, my gross margin out the back of my fact, I should say my milk price is much more expensive, almost twice what they pay. And yet my, my um, my gross margin is about ten points worse than theirs. In other words, it, I can't charge as much to make up for the high cost of my milk. So I've got to make it up somewhere, or else I don't have a viable business. And sure. mainly, we make it up with less advertising. Amazing! It's incredible. Let me ask you this: Why hasn't every single small scale dairy turned into an organic? I mean, given the volatility of the prices and the fact that you know it's it's basically what is it like fifteen bucks a hundred weight now? I mean, below as you said, below. The cost of yeah. below yeah. the cost of, of production. So why hasn't uh, why haven't more farmers um, gone into organic, or would that just end up being that's creating the same glut 
uh, as they are well, facing is, in conventional yeah, dairy. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, I think many, many more would. Um, and and again, at this very moment right now, we've even had to put our farmers on quotas to limit right. their production. And, and, and by the way, uh, one of our competitors, Horizon, is actually, um, uh, they're closing off. They're, they're not renewing contracts with farmers, particularly in the West. They're so oversupplied. So it's a, <laughs> it's a dark uh, moment at, at, you know, right now. The, the issue is you asked, you know, how do we do it? And, and that's a big part of our job. We have to, we have to continue to drive demand to keep up with the interest in supply. Uh, obviously, I mean, just if I could step back for, for sure. one second in the big picture. So the good news is organic in 2017, we'll have the actual USDA data out um, shortly, but I can tell you it's, it crossed the $50 billion mark in annual sales wow. nationally, which is phenomenal. I mean, when we yeah. started, it was uh, you could measure organic writ large in the millions, and now it's up over $50 billion. Yeah. That's the good news. The, the bad news is it's still around 5.5% of total U.S. food. So really to get um, what you're talking about, to get uh, to, to meet the, the you know, you, you've got two megatrends, right? One, organic farmers can make more money. They can be sustainable. And two, you get more young farmers who clearly right. understand organic. They want to raise their families on organic farms and so on. And so our job is to you know, receive as much of that milk, buy as much as we can, but also keep driving demand. And, and as I said before, the, the real trick here is we can't afford all the advertising that the cheaper, uh, that the brands who don't pay as much for milk, uh, you know, are engaged in. So, you know, you watch Chobani, uh, you know, sort of come from no, nowhere to, to now the number, uh, actually, they're now the number two yogurt brand in wow. the country, but they, they did it on the backs, frankly, of not paying farmers an adequate amount. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the conventional milk has just not been kind to farmers. So, you know, our, our job, our, our challenge is, 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 you know, in the long run, we think uh, it's the right challenge to take on, but it's certainly a lot more difficult. But, you know, the good news uh, on, in all of this is that the millennial consumer today, and, and again, half of all millennials are now parents, uh, really understand organic better than at any time in our history. Uh, of course, they want to know how everything's grown. They want to know who's growing it. They want to know about the animal uh, welfare practices. Sure. They want to know, you know, is the farmer pay being paid adequately? Um, they want to know, uh, you know, everything there is to know because they're a lot more educated than than we were. And, and that, of course, inevitably uh, leads them to organic because, well, while there are plenty of other labels out there like fair trade or non-GMO or, you know, animal welfare, the, in the end, organic is the one that checks all those boxes. So so the wind is blowing our way. It's 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 just again that the the art is balancing this increasing interest of farmers uh with 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 demand. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> given that Americans are eating or drinking less milk, I mean of course you're not really in the fluid milk business. You're more you're in the yogurt business. But <clears throat> I'm wondering, you know, why can conventional farmers sort of um you know, piggyback on that added value thing, I mean, and do more um, sort of other types of milk products themselves, uh, would that help them with conventional farming or would that, or is that really once again the business of the co-op? And I, I want to talk a little bit more about co-ops in a second, but just, sure. I'm just... Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I've, again, because I've been doing this for, this is literally our 35th year, I've yeah. seen sort of, you know, a lot. And I've And one of the things I've seen is a lot of attempts on the part of conventional to try to 
slay that dragon. So, for example, um, you'll see a lot more of these local milks uh, in glass bottles. Yeah. Uh, you know, everywhere in the country now. The, generally, there's you know one enterprising farm entrepreneur will have done this. Um, you you see a lot of milks declaring themselves. Uh, you know, uh, synthetic growth hormone free, are mm-hmm. free of RBST, and and you know, it, it, these are these are uh, good attempts, and in some cases, uh, very localized cases, they're often successful. But the the, the problem, uh, as I say, at the mass scale, is that um, you've got this terrible, terrible situation that the gap between their costs and their and what they can get for price, even with value added, is just so great. It's just too much to overcome, and you know we we obviously you know we're we support all farmers, organic or conventional. We yeah, we course. really believe family farmers are the lifeblood of our country and and need to be supported. But but we've just found that organic is the is the smoother and more stable path. We just need to drive demand up past that 10% mark I talked about. And by the way, um, I want to just say, so I don't confuse your listeners, that uh, while I was giving statistics of uh, overall organic, all organic, you know, vegetables, fruits, the whole nine yards in that $50 billion figure, in fact, organic dairy is, is following the trend pretty closely. Organic dairy is also around five, five and a half percent. And organic yogurt, which as you point out is our primary business, we do a small amount in fluid, is also around that five, five and a half percent. Mm-hmm. Um, the places where organic has uh, overachieved is, for example, carrots, which is now something like 20 percent of mm-hmm. America's carrots. And, we're, and you're seeing fruits coming up. But dairy is uh, right at the average. And and so again, my my obsession, uh, my my title is is chairman and chief organic optimist here. <laughs> my my obsession is driving us to that ten percent, that double digit mark. And again, the happy news is the millennial consumer really gets it. Yeah. Um, and uh, we just have to, um, you know, balance uh, meet meet uh, retailers' demands that we hit the same velocities they expect from the cheaper uh, the products that use cheaper ingredients. Right, right. And what about um, before we move on to co-ops? What about um, you know the uh, like I know that Stonyfield has a European branch now. In fact, you're owned by a much bigger company at this point, and so you're you're trying to open markets in in you know other areas around the globe. And I, I'm just curious, like. Is there is there a big demand for organic milk in other countries, like say in Western Europe or say in I don't know South America or something like that? Are people are they sort of latching onto that idea, or or is it is it are you still really just a pioneer in those in those markets trying to to make that happen? Yeah. So just to uh, clarify, uh, Stonyfield, I, uh, we sold the company to Danone in 2001, right. and uh, as part of the arrangement that I had with them, I, I continued to run Stonyfield independently uh, while I was CEO for another 10 years. I'm still the chairman, um, but I also started something called Stonyfield Europe then. Uh, right. And Le Devache, the little organic yogurt brand that uh, my colleagues and I started over there, is in fact the, is in fact the fastest growing or uh, Yogurt it's, it, it, that Danone has in all of Europe, and and it's growing just furiously. Um, the organic market in Europe was actually a little bit behind in most countries. You get a few like Austria, where it's been overperforming. But just I want to be clear, uh, Danone uh, had to sell Stonyfield uh, yeah. er, er, last year in um, 
uh, due to uh, what happened was they went out and, and acquired another large organic dairy, and that uh, the D- Department of Justice required that they divest of Stonyfield. So you're right. Um, now we're owned by a company called Lactalis, which yeah. is probably the biggest company, dairy company, no one's ever heard of. They're a $23 billion family, entirely family-owned company. Amazing. Absolutely an extraordinary company. And and one of the reasons I was thrilled that Lactalis bought the company, and, 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 and this is why I've become a lot more engaged, is they, they welcomed one of the first things they did was they sat down with me and said, you know, how can we get you more involved again? Um, one of the reasons I was thrilled is they were the first, 20 years ago, they were the first to launch organic milk in Europe. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they're a global company, and indeed, to your point, they are um, watching organic uh, and wanting us at, here at Stonyfield to help them watching organic grow in many, many parts of the world, even, um, you know, in Asia and, and uh, Australia. So uh, it's, it's um, in general, organic uh, dairy is enjoying around a 20-plus percent compounded growth rate uh, mm-hmm. on average globally. Um, and as I say, some countries are starting further behind. Uh, Western Europe, it's catching up uh, very fast. It's now, again, about the same, sort of 5 to 7%. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know the future is very bright. We've got you've got young farmers who want to go to organic. You've obviously got consumers demanding, and now you have these large, well-funded multinationals um, like Lactalis who are uh, you know supporting that that trend. So we we are um, uh, a part of a. Uh, uh, North American group of companies here with them, but again, they the way they operate is they they keep these companies very very separate. Like right. I said, they they wanted me to come back in as a more active chair. Um, I'm now very much more engaged in new product development and communications and supply chain management than I have been for for many years uh, here. And it's it's really because they want us to run as a separate entity, which is wonderful. Yeah, that is fantastic. Gary, stay on the line. We're going to take a short break now for a sponsor drop, and we'll be right back with Gary Hirschberg, and we're going to be talking about co-ops with him, um, why some of them work and some of them don't. So stay tuned. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, anyplace. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Roth's Grand Cru Sirchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satari's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. And we're gonna 
And a very fitting sponsor drop there for this series anyway. I don't know why they haven't been our person the whole way through. But um, I realized I didn't introduce the show or myself um, at the... (laughs) at the beginning. So just in case you're tuning in right now, this is what doesn't kill you food industry insights. And I'm Katie Kiefer. And this is the Heritage Radio Network. Um, so we are talking to Gary Hirschberg today, who is the founder and CEO of um, of Stonyfield. Um, now you're the chairman, um, because Stonyfield has moved on to bigger and better things, becoming a, almost a global company. Um, but Gary, let's go back and talk about those co-ops, because, um, you know, in the in the talking to a conventional dairy farm, I always hear the words, the Dairy Farm Association, DFA, Dairy Farm Association, which is the biggest um, member-supported co-op in the industry, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I, I, I kind of feel like we can um, point the finger at them in terms of milk prices being as low as they are. And I wondered how um, that is the case with that very large co-op, and yet other co-ops seem to be um, doing much better by their members. And can you sort of differentiate mm. between how your co-op works and how DFA works, for instance? Or is that like <laughs> not territory you want to head into? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can hit half of that, Katie. So let me also just go back and clarify. Um, Stonyfield is actually not a global company. We are owned by a global company. We're by, really only here in the U.S. Okay. Um, uh, so uh, we have um, sister relationships around the world, and, and, and again, under the new owner, Lactalis, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that we will be able to help uh, start and help spur similar uh, growth of small, uh, you know, organic uh, companies around the world. Um, and a big part of our growth, to your point, has been our partnership with uh, the CROP Cooperative. CROP stands for Cooley Region Organic Produce Pool. They're based in Wisconsin. Mm. Um, in the early going, uh, when we were all starting, you know, with our uh, very small number of farms and, and small number of cows, uh, you know, there were uh, a dozen or so members of their, their co-op. Today, they're up to 1,600, 1,600. And what uh, your listeners would be interested in is that their average herd size nationally is 90 90 cows. So this is not... You know, mega farms. This is uh, this is truly a family farm cooperative, and of course they're into all kinds of products. But but we are uh, uh, their largest customer and a really critical partner. Not not just because we buy so much milk from them, but also because you know we share the same values and goals. And also um, they um, they sell a lot of cheese and butter, and we mm. buy a lot of skim milk uh, for our fat-free products. So we're a very complimentary. Yeah. Um, we, um, you know, as a rule, I, it's, it, it, I, I don't know that I could really answer your question because the, the, this is the one co-op that I know the best. I, I, what I would say about them, in, in other words, it's hard for me to comment on DFA, but w- he, here what I would say is they are truly farmer-owned. They're all about um, not just improving the price that farmers get, but obviously uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's about delivering products that consumers can afford, whether in the form of Stonyfield yogurt or, or their own products. And so they also work really hard. And where I, I think I'm, more, I'm proudest of their association is they work really hard at farmer efficiency. Um, one of the things that this co-op does so well, and we've benefited from it and, and learned so much from it, is they, they provide literally, you know, veterinary and technical assistance at every level, whether you're trying to improve your 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 soil tilth, your forage quality, your animal nutrition, your animal health. Um, they literally have veterinarians on staff and so on. So, you know, I have I have farmers down the road from me here who milk 
good friends who've been with us for a long time who actually make money milking 30 cows, which is unheard of, right, in modern conventional agriculture. But they do it because they're just a lot more efficient. They've developed ways of of, of reducing on-farm inputs. Um, What happened for us, I started to tell you this earlier, Katie, is that we, you know, around 2013, with with all this wonderful growth we've enjoyed as as their co-op has grown and and our brand has grown, uh, we did notice that here in the Northeast, organic uh, dairying was shrinking, the number of Mm -hmm. farmers in particular. And so that's why we decided um, to go ahead and launch our own um, mini kind of local cooperative of about 40 farms. And again, Mm -hmm. It's not instead of, it's in addition to, we, we still get most of our milk from the Organic Valley Cooperative. But, but this allows us to work directly and closely on things that, um, uh, you know, that are very particular to the Northeast, whereas Organic Valley is a national co-op. So, they're, right. you know, as a national co-op, they have to deal with, um, you know, issues like California drought or, or, you know, issues that vary by region. Here in the Northeast, we have our own particular challenges, mainly the higher costs of feed because of our, our weather hmm. conditions. We're farther from, you know, the commodity markets and, and also mm-hmm. uh, fuel prices up here, whether for transportation or just in general, are obviously much higher. So our 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 organic valley farmers and our direct farms up here have very particular programs ta- tailored to these um, these conditions, and they they've just been a great great partner. We we have um, you know the the same veterinarian who works with their farmers works directly with our farmers, and you know it's 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 a fight for survival here in the northeast, and and I think together we're waging that war pretty well. Well, that's that's encouraging. I mean, I um, I interviewed Rody Fresh, which is a little tiny. Um, dairy in my home state, Rhode Island, where I live most of the time. Mm. And, um, you know, they're part of the Agrimark co-op because they're a conventional yes. dairy. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm sort of hard put to see where, uh, what exactly Agrimark is bringing to the party aside from distribution. Um, Rody Fresh itself is really just a marketing and distribution platform themselves. I mean, they, yeah. you know, they market, but they don't, they can't really offer the, they only have five farms in their co-op actually. And Rhode Island now only has nine dairy farms. And to speak your, to your point about, you know, that the, that the organic, um, sector is kind of diminishing in Rhode Island or, or in New England, wouldn't that speak as much to the number of people who are just giving up on dairying in general and, you know, selling their land off to, you know, to developers or whatever? I mean, that, that seems to be happening a lot in my home state. It, and I wouldn't well, be surprised is. if New no, Hampshire followed is, suit. As I said, there's a lot of unique challenges in all of our states up here. You know, when we started Stonyfield in 1983, there were uh, over 500 dairy farms in the state. When I was growing mm-hmm. up, there were over 2,000. Yeah. Uh, last year, we crossed the 100 mark. We're now under 100 for the wow. first time since, you know, there was farming in this region. Right. And, and again, um, you know, that's primarily the decline of, or, of, of, of conventional, not organic. Uh, right. Organic is, is, is winning. I mean, we're, more of those conventional farmers are converting. But, again, we need to keep demand up with supply now. We're, we're in this uh, odd little moment. And, and, and by the way, um, this, I, prob- I, I need to be clear about this. This, this, hit, this challenge of balancing supply and demand, this is always the problem sure. for processors. So, so when you, you know, talk about Agrimark and the conventional co-ops, what, what I would say is, I, you know, I empathize with their plight. Um, you've got higher feed costs. 
mm-hmm. and uh, because of um, uh, a lot of factors, lower pay price. You know, consumers want cheap food, and mm-hmm. and so conventional. No matter how good a co-op is, they're they're stuck in this economic paradigm that I think is, you know, it's a tough one to break. We, mm-hmm. like I said, we've figured out that the way to break it is to go organic. We get a higher pay price to the farmers, more stable and declining costs. Um, your listeners may not even know, for example, that organic cows live twice as long and, and produce twice as long as conventional farmers. And so if you're a farmer with 30 or 300 cows, if your primary asset is uh, is produced productive twice as long, that's you're making you a lot more efficient. So, no you know, yeah. I, 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 I'm an optimist, right? I'm a, my wife calls me a pathological optimist. And, <laughs> you know, I, I believe that even be. though organic costs more and we're up against uh, – uh, you know, brands that sell with much cheaper inputs. I, I do believe in the long run we're we're winning here. Uh, and, and again, I, I believe it mainly because I see these younger consumers who are, you know, they're 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 thrifty. They're a lot of them have graduated with college debt, so they're not like they're flowing in dollars. But they're right. gonna they they may buy one le- you know a cheaper or used car or, or you know or something they may not have, you know uh, uh, move into the most expensive you know housing or whatever but they're they they make choices in favor of better food for you and better food for the planet and and this is the this is what's driving our business our fastest growing sector at Stonyfield is our kids lines kids and baby yogurts why because again you've got this new consumer who who recognizes that you know, we are what we eat. Yeah. Um, you know, cancer is uh, cancer rates are on the rise, and and one and, and and what oncologists and leading cancer panels tell us and them is that the number one reason that cancer rates have been on the rise is 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 in is is day to day exposure to toxins in lots of ways, but primarily in our food. So, so we've got, like I say, the wind at our backs. Our our job as a processor, like like the co-ops you're asking about is is really to keep innovating choices for consumers that will keep demand growing. Yeah, and that's a hard thing to do because right now you also have competition from plant-based quote-unquote milks. And I, I don't see how changing the name of one of those products is going to be... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you see a lot in the sort of dairy pages, like on Facebook, or if you follow any of those groups, um, you know, people are all up in arms because they, almond milk calls itself a milk. Well, you know, that is not going to (laughs) change, you know, calling it something else is not going to people not buy it or, or, you know, not substitute it for conventional milk. Um, But uh, do you feel like those plant-based products are having an impact on uh, the organic sector? Do you think that's, that's um, also driving sort of, you know, driving some well, aspect of your business? if or? you were to ask me to put uh, in slightly different words, what are the primary competitive challenges we've got? I would say number one is uh, large conventional uh, brands that portray themselves as better for you, mm-hmm. uh, better for the planet, but they're really not paying the freight. You know, I, I mentioned right. uh, Chobani, for example, that, yes. you know, on the backs of low prices paid to farmers, um, you know, uh, Danone is to be congratulated for going non-GMO with their yogurts. But again, 
you know, no, there's still plenty of herbicides and chemicals being used in, in non-GMO. Um, and, 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 you know, if you look at the vast bulk of their lines, and obviously Yoplait, General Mills, the other top three brand, you know, they, they have this incredible advantage when they're paying less than half of what we're paying for milk. They wow. just have a much more much more money to spend on marketing and of course they can price themselves cheaper so that, that so that in terms of competitive threat that is a monster then yeah. uh, the plant-based trend which is uh, i think very hopeful frankly uh because it to me it it belies a consumer who's uh being a lot more uh discerning and trying to sort of um you know curate for their family um i i happen to be on the board of one plant-based their uh, yogurt and, and, and milk company that's doing, you know, extraordinarily well. It's still pretty small, mm-hmm. but for sure it's cutting in to, you know, dairy sales as a, uh, as a trend. You know, one-third of Americans are lactose intolerant, so yeah. it's, it's, it's a trend that has been, uh, I think, uh, sort of uh, – you know, latent and, and for for a long time, and now the the the, the problem is that um, a lot of the plant based options have not tasted that great until recently. Our Osoy yogurt, for example, um, has done incredibly well and continues to, but we're always looking at other. Uh, other opportunities, and now you see, you know, coconut, almond, cashew. Yeah. Oh, you know, there's a lot of consumers get a, have a lot more options. But the the key point, back all the way back to my earlier comment about organic in the '80s, is that uh, while a lot of these products have been around, they're they're now starting to really crack the taste thing. And and so, you know, I, in my view, uh, this is you know, we sh- we have to be all about consumer choice. Uh, I believe the rising tide lifts all boats. If you, if you, um, you know, go into a natural food store or a grocery store looking for plant-based products, uh, hopefully you're going to find your way to organic. That's good. That's in yep. the end what we have to do. Don't forget, as, an, as a yogurt company, we buy a lot more than just milk, right? We buy sure. lots of fruits and 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 flavorings and so forth. And so the more organic demand that's out there, um, the more uh, we're supporting these farmers. And frankly, in the long run, the, 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 the more we can keep that premium over conventional pricing uh, within range of what consumers can afford. So more, more is better, whatever, whether it's plant-based or dairy, as far as I'm concerned. That's great. I, I, that was a, that was a really good pitch. Um, <laughs> you can see why they pay you the big Thank bucks, you. Gary. <laughs> Okay, we unfortunately have to wrap this up, but I have one big question, like a really big question for you, and you have like three or four minutes to answer it. Um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of farmers obviously hate, and this is sort of more about conventional dairy actually than organic, but I mean, just sort of the dairy industry in general. What, you know, do you see a role for government? I know that most farmers hate the idea of government meddling in their business in any way at all, but um, yeah. do you see government playing a role on some level in helping to preserve the dairy industry as it, you know, on a smaller scale, in other words, not the big mega dairies that we see out in Wisconsin and what's so, you know that are producing you know that have ten thousand cows. Yeah, or do, you know what? What yeah, can they so do, like sure. with the farm I mean, bill look, the or whatever, to help? Yeah, totally. I mean that. that- no, the system is broken. That that's exactly what's going on. And, and you know, last week the budget deal that was passed does d- did include a small fix to the dairy margin protection program. This was mm-hmm. championed by uh, Senator Leahy of Vermont. That will, you know, hopefully work 
make the conventional program work better for conventional producers. But, but you know, the conventional price, as you pointed out, has been below the cost of production for several years now. Yeah. And so this this margin protection program is, is, is really only a tweak. Uh, look, I, I think uh, the critical role that government needs to pay is to pave the way for 21st century agriculture. And that means more and more uh, support for organic. You know, the, right now there's this indefensible position that the USDA has taken, which is a rollback of, 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 of organic standards, and yes. it's the biggest attack on organic in almost 20 years. There's a new animal welfare rule that we've been trying to get passed. It was brought together by stakeholders representing farmers, ranchers, food processors, all overwhelmingly supporting stronger, clearer standards. But right. a handful of, uh, you know, big, huge commodity producers have, have have used their financial weight to keep the USDA from moving forward on, on standards as simple as just making sure that animals have access to sunlight and fresh air. We, 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 we engage in these practices because we believe in them, but it would be nice to have the government standing behind them. And, and, and frankly, organic research uh, is way behind f- funding of conventional you know, there's just a lot more that, that the government can do. I'm not terribly optimistic that this particular administration <laughs> gets there, is going to get us there. But, but uh, no, government has a role. Uh, but, 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 you know, they're not playing it now. And, 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 and we all need to keep working on that. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, remember that when you talk to your a congresswoman or or congressman or senator the next time. Because, I mean, we're all in the habit now of phoning them on a regular basis, right? So, <laughs> Well, this, listen, I'll just say quickly, I know we've got to go, but, yeah. you know, any of your listeners uh, needs to understand it is now 2018. We have probably the most important election in our lifetimes, and I don't care what party you're in coming this fall, but we darn well better support candidates who prioritize the environment and prioritize uh, the things that we want for our children. Uh, right now, you can only define the call the Environmental Protection Agency the Chemical Protection Agency with the yes. with the deregulation that's going on. And, 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 and again, the abandonment of strong organic support is, is one of the, you know, true crimes here. It's good for farmers. It's good for consumers. It's good for the planet. It's good for exports. It's good for our balance uh-huh. of trade. It's preventative health care. Uh, we need a government that supports that whatever party you, you support. So I hope I do hope people take you seriously and, and pay attention because this, this is a most crucial election I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. Watershed moment. Now, Gary, this is the moment where you get to promote yourself shamelessly. Um, and so talk to us about um, your other passions, which include... Uh, you know, the, the Just Label It campaign. Um, whatever happened to Agri? That went away with the Obama administration? No, no, Agri is uh, it's nonpartisan. It's still uh, going strong. You can get uh, your listeners can uh, can get on the Agri uh, da- daily news feed. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but no, my, my main passion uh, these days, well, first of all, just to be clear, the just label its work is not done. There is a uh, we're waiting for when the when the national labeling bill was passed a year and three quarters ago. It required that the USDA come out with final laws that will uh, final rules that will stipulate how what the la- national label looks needs to look like by July right. of this year. So we're waiting eagerly for those rules to come out. And you know, as you might imagine, I'm sure it's going to be. Uh, uh, challenging. So we, we have, we're, we're, we're gearing up, you know, we, we had the largest number of consumers in the history of the federal government, uh, sign a petition and get, get, uh, um, uh, calls into Congress, uh, to demand higher standards. So that fight is not 
over. We're, we have our work cut out, but they do have to publish and put those rules in effect by the end of July. So that that's one main passion. And, and then the other is honestly what we've talked about here. Yeah. And, you know, there's a little farm here in Maine called Wolf's Neck Farm. It's, it's um, a wonderful nonprofit where, you know, thousands and thousands of school kids have gone. But we're working with them on, um, you know, the, 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 one of the biggest challenges we have is that the average farmer age, uh, organic or not, is 58 years old yeah. here in the Northeast. And so we are, we've started the first ever uh, organic uh, dairy apprenticeship program. We're graduating our first students this spring. Congratulations. Uh, literally helping young people to get on to uh, get a paid, be paid for 18 months to learn um, all the ins and outs of organic, running a, a dairy farm and a dairy farm business without having that, uh, the, all the financial risk that, that startup farmers have. So that's exciting. And with Wolf's Neck, we're, Stonyfield is working very hard on on, on uh, tracking and, and supporting what we call regenerative organic practices, yeah. uh, practices that measure uh, just the dramatically greater amounts of organic matter being trapped in soil than happens with conventional, meaning, yeah. uh, you know, if we're going to really reverse climate change, agriculture is going to have to play a critical role, and organic plays a better role. We now know you trap a lot more carbon in soil with organic. So we're, we're documenting that and building a, a national network of 500 farms who are tracking best practices. So plenty to do, um, all in the name of both keeping family farmers successful, but also delivering what I think consumers really want, which is, you know, no, I've yet to meet the consumer who says, give me more pesticides in my, my food, right? So it's, <laughs> right. it's about less, less processing, less inputs, better for the environment, and, and ultimately better for our children. Well, that's, that's a beautiful way to end the show. So thank you so much, uh, Gary, for joining me today and helping us understand some of the ins and outs of organic. And, you know, I wish you the best with Stonyfield and all the other ventures that you're involved in. And thanks Katie, so thank much. thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, thanks for my sponsor, Wisconsin Cheese. And um, that's all for today, folks. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.